a breach in the blessing. A breach in the blessing. And I'm going to use a passage of Scripture that is going to surprise you. Now, what you've been given a guide that we're going to pick up shortly. It's going to take me a little while to get to it. And we're going to fill in these blanks rather quickly. And when you look at it, you think, my goodness, Pastor Brown, we're going to be here all day. Well, if we have to. I'll tell you what, it's more important than caroling in the caverns. And I'm just telling you what I've got to say today because the blessing, God wants to bless his children. But sometimes there are some things often due to cultural influences that have created a breach. What's a breach? It's a fragment. It's something that's separated in the flow of blessing. Stand up. We're going to read two verses of Scripture here today. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 3. Once again, reading from the authorized version of the Bible, the King James Version. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. I want all the ushers to quickly lock the door. Don't let any of the ladies out right now. No, this is for men equally as much as it is for women. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And that's probably not a scripture verse that's being preached on in very many places uh, right now here at Christmas time. But that's okay. Uh, God's chosen you for this word right here today. He has. Now turn to Ephesians in the fifth chapter. Now, I'm really robbing this verse from its context. It's in context, and reading it uh, individually does not extract or take away from the context, but it is actually has greater depth in context, but we'll allude to that context later. But once again, the Apostle Paul writing repeats, if in essence, the words to the Ephesian church that he did to the Corinthians. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And I know you're thinking, Pastor Brown, what does that have to do with the blessing? Well, that's why I'm here, to help you understand that. A breach in the blessing. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and God, I am so grateful to have this moment. I've been looking forward to this since Wednesday of this past week, when I believe that you gave me a quickened word in my office at home to be able to speak to this church family. And at first, Father, my heart was um, a little bit, um, you know, uh, disappointed when I didn't think we had very many people here. But all of a sudden, I look out, and you have sovereignly directed the steps of men and women to this house. And I'm so grateful for every listening ear and every receptive heart and mind today. And I'm going to trust that you're going to show in such a way that today, men and women are going to be convinced of the power of a prophetic blessing, but also the danger of things that can create breaches and hinder and rob families of that blessing. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. And you can be seated. No, I'm not preaching about three uh, kings and um, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But I'm preaching a biblical principle that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. It is something that I, as your pastor, am passionate about. And one of the passionate things in my heart is to see the established correct order in the family that the power of a paternal blessing can pass to your children and your children's children. If you read the Word of God, you see that when God chooses to bless a man to bless a family, that God's intention was to pass that blessing to subsequent generations. If you study the scriptures, you'll find that people, be, I said it last week, 
People believed in the power of that paternal blessing so much they would often cheat for it, conspire to get it, because they knew it would alter the course of their life if they had that prophetic blessing spoken over them. So I believe with all of my heart in the power of a prophetic blessing upon our families and upon our children and our children's children. Let me say this. God is a God of order. God is a God. When you read the Word of God all the way through, you'll find that God is not the author of confusion. He's a God that when he gets ready to do something, he has an A and he has a Z. He called it Alpha and he called it Omega. He's the God that begins a good work in you. He's a God that will complete that work in your heart and life. Sometimes it's instantaneous and sometimes it's progressive. But God's a God that, that follows order. And I believe that there's a scriptural order upon the home and the family. And without that order, the flow of anointing can be hindered. Because I believe that every family can have an anointing upon their lives. I don't believe that just the preachers and the teachers and the pastors and the prophets have an anointing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 20, and I've challenged the church since I've been pastoring to be able to say this, that says, God hath anointed us. If you can't say that, then you need to put yourself in a position where you can say that, where you have a confidence in your life that God has consecrated and anointed your life because the anointing flows upon you and brings blessing to your house and your household. Now, I've often said it this way, that the flow of blessing, the flow of blessing is, is what's going to uh, come into our lives. And if there's something that breaches that, then it disrupts it. Let me give you an example to help you in this for a moment. I'm going to give you an example that you're going to think, well, that, how does that make sense? Well, let me well, stay with me. The Bible tells us of a moment in the life of King David. When David has assumed the kingship, Saul has passed, the restructuring of the kingdom, they have not had the heart of God the way uh, that David does in the days of Saul. Saul didn't always seek after the heart of God. Sometimes he did things his own way instead of God's way. Actually, he suffered and lost the kingship as a result of it. David arrived at the moment where he wanted the ark of God. Now, you know what the ark of God is. The ark of God was the dwelling place. That was the place behind the veil in the tabernacle between the cherubims, the mercy seat where God said his presence would abide. Inside the ark was the law of commandments. And, and, and so it was a place that was sacred and dedicated to God. And so it was, a, it was an object. It was not God, but it represented the presence of God. And the presence of God brought the blessing of God. And David said, we haven't sought it in 20 years. We've got to have the ark of God. And so they, he called leaders together. And they said, yes, let's get the ark. The ark was in a, uh, had been in the land of the Philistines for a period of time. And they said, let's go back and let's get the ark of God. So they got everybody together. They constructed a new cart that had never been pulled by oxen. And they went to the location where the ark was. And the, and the priest lifted it up and set it on the, on, the, on the cart. And they started making their way back to Jerusalem. And David is rejoicing and he's worshiping and he's blessing God. And they get to a certain place, a threshing floor. And when they hit that place in the road, the Bible says that the oxen stumbled a little bit. And when they stumbled, it caused a tilt on the cart. And when the cart tilted, the ark was about to tip off of it. And one of the Levites who was walking alongside the new cart, reached up and tried to stabilize it. His name was Uzzah. And when he touched the ark of God, the Bible says that God smote him there that day, and he died for touching the ark of God. 
And when David saw it, David was so grieved, and he called the name of that place a breach. He said, because a breach has been made upon us here. And he was afraid of God that day. He didn't know what to do. And so they quickly moved the ark into the house of a a Levitical priest by the name of Obed-Edom. And David went back to Jerusalem, and he was frustrated. He thought, how can I get the ark of God to him? To, to me, and then month one went by, month two goes by, three months pass, and people began to see Obed Edom's house. And the Bible says that God began to bless the house of Obed Edom. Dean Caldwell preached right here at this church about 10 years ago. He said, Obed Edom said, Man, let's make room for the ark of God. He said he pushed the living room couch out of the way, moved the television back, said, Put that ark of God right here in the living room. He said all of a sudden his kids went from D students to A students. Come on, somebody. His calves, his cows started giving twins and triplets. Garden started bringing forth double and triple harvest. Bible plainly says God blessed the house and the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Because of the supernatural abiding presence of Almighty God. Now you and I can call that the anointing of God in our life. The anointing brings blessing. And David saw it, and so this is when David repented. And then David said, we got to get the ark in Jerusalem. And here's what he did. He went to the Word of God, and he found out that only the Levites were to carry the ark. Not a new cart. It doesn't matter how pure your heart is if in, 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 in building that new cart. If God said that's not the way, then that's not the way. You've heard me say before, this is not Burger King. You can't have it God, your way. It's God's way. And so David said, he said this, and this is what caught my eye. David said that a breach was made because we didn't follow him after his due order. Now, I want you to hear that right there. There's a due order to the blessing of God. There's a due order to the home. There's a due order to our relationships as husbands and wives. And when we fail to function in that due order, then we can breach the blessing of God. And then we can look around and say, how come I don't have it? How come that I see others walking in the favor of God and I don't have it? Well, stop looking at everybody else and maybe you ought to stop and look at your own life for just a moment. Maybe there are some things that are out of line with the will of God for your life. This is the way I wrote it. Families are suffering and often marriages fail because of the failure to submit to God's order. Psalm 128 speaks of the blessing upon the household. Blessings upon the Bible says, blessed is the man. Then it speaks about a fruitful wife by the side of your house and your children like olive plants round about your table. I've quoted that verse of scripture and I've spoken it prophetically over my children for many, many years, 30 years now of confessing and speaking the prophetic word of God over my house. A happy, satisfied man, a fruitful and a faithful wife and productive children. That's the will of God for every home under the sound of my voice. But if your home is not in order, I'm telling you right now, God's not going to bless something that's not in order. Paul twice references order in marriage. And I know that we don't talk about this enough in our culture, but Paul plainly gave an order in the covenant union. I just did a wedding here in this house yesterday at 2 p.m., and I charged the couple. And in this passage here, Paul said that the husband is the head of the wife. And Christ is the head of the man. Paul repeats it to the book of Ephesians. What's that talking about? Is that diminishing the role of women, unfortunately? No, it's not diminishing the role of women. Unfortunately, what's been taught is that it is diminishing the role of women. But that's not the case. What it's doing, it's setting a proper order that the God of order can bless 
that he can bless the family and the children and the children's children. Now, I've wrote it this way. We all want the anointed blessing, but to fail to create the proper order, and then we think God's going to bless it, and he's not going to. Now, I want to say this, and I'm going to get into this and explain this a little bit more carefully in just a little while. I believe with my heart that God's called the man to be the leader of his household. Now, that does not mean that a woman and a wife, now, as I say this, I often use the same language, husband, man, woman, wife. Don't start judging me up in here. And every now and then, we get, I get said, well, Pastor Brown, you know, uh, why would you call, you know, your wife woman? Well, I'm going to be honest, it wouldn't bother me at all if Sherry said, that's not my man right up there. So, I may call her my woman. I'm not doing it to, in a disparaging term. I'm doing it because I value who she is in my life. So, I'm just trying to set that precedence right now, okay? Because I already could tell some of you are just starting to shut me down already. Don't shut me down. This is too good because I've got the blessing on my life, and I'm not giving it up for nobody, but I want to show you how you can get it, right? Obed-Edom had it, and David wanted it, and he had to line his house and his family up. Come on, somebody, to get the blessing of God upon his house and his household. And so, listen, I believe that if a wife is subjected to her husband in the proper way, and I'll talk about that in a little while, and the husband is subjected to God, there is a divine order in the home and a divine flow of the anointing of God. God anoints the head. There's no record in the Word of God of the body being anointed. It began, the Bible says in Psalm 133, the anointing was poured on the head of the priest. It flowed to his, to his body and all the way to the hem of his garment. But God did not anoint his shoulder. God anointed his head. And so if the head is anointed, there's going to be an anointing upon the rest of the body. And so let me just say this very quickly, that if you want the anointing so bad and you're a wife and you try to usurp the authority of your husband, God's not going to give you the anointing because it's got to be in the right order. We're going to learn a little bit more what that means in just a little while. Now, if a woman's husband vacates his position by either negligence or leaving, then certainly I believe that there is a spiritual authority and an anointing that can flow upon the woman apart from the man. Right, because some men are negligent of these things. Some men sitting in the house of God. Some men sitting here hearing the word of God are still negligent of these things. Dozing off while the preachers try. Stay awake for six hours to watch a ball game going to overtime, but can't listen to an anointed man of God preach the word of God for 45 minutes. And, so, and they wonder why their wife is scrambling around just trying to get the anointing of God because you're laying it down and she's having to try to pick it up. But I'm telling you, God wants you, sir, to rise up and be the man that God's called you to be. And the anointing can flow right off of your head onto your shoulders and your children and your children's children. And a generational blessing can be left for generations to come in your house and in your household. And so let's go a little bit farther real quickly. And so I believe a wife as a helpmate of her husband that God can and does anoint. The divine order cannot be forfeited. And so, if a woman who finds herself dwelling with a man who is pleased to dwell with her, but he is unregenerate, and sometimes you see a lot of that in the church. You'll see a wife that's coming to church faithfully and regularly, and her husband is unsaved. He's a heathen, but for whatever reason, he's pleased to dwell with her, and he is not left. And so, they're still, they still have a relationship together. The woman is not to leave her husband, and God expects her to fulfill all of the marital obligations, and especially to be a witness to her husband. And I do believe the anointing of God will fall upon that woman. I do believe that, and God will anoint her, but she cannot usurp that place. She assumes that role because of his negligence. 
Let's go a little bit farther. Now, see, the believing wife who neglects her husband and fails to submit to him in the Lord by faith, even if he is an unbeliever, even ridiculing him and speaking reproachfully of him, is herself being disobedient. Got real quiet in here. I'll explain that in just a moment. And restricting the flow of the anointing. And so today, in a few moments, I'm going to take you on a journey, and we're going to look at both the roles of both husbands and wives, and it's going to be fast-paced in here. I know they called a movie Fast and Furious. It's going to be Fast and Furious right here in First Assembly in just a few moments because the Word of God is going to be coming quickly to you. And I gave you that handout today so that you can take it home. And I didn't put the Scriptures on there and write them out because I want you to go home and look them up. And I want you to read and I want you to study because only as you study and learn and grow in your understanding can these things be loosed in your life. Does that make sense? Now, I've been saying this again. When both the husband and wife are submitted to God, there is a prophetic flow of blessing. Both husband and wife should speak life. Both husband and wife should let the grace of God be spoken into their house and their household. Husbands and wives working together in a biblical order, obtaining spiritual authority, united in faith and in agreement by a cooperative faith. They have joined themselves together. And so I want to encourage you here today as we're going to begin to turn to that page in just a moment. As we do so, I want you to see the top two things on the page. It says, the flow of anointing and blessing follows order and authority. Don't forget that. Just see that right there in your spirit. Don't forget that. The flow of anointing and blessing follows order and authority. David could not obtain the, the blessing and the power of God because he didn't follow God's prescribed order. When he followed God's prescribed order, the blessing of God came to him. Number two, you cannot usurp authority and gain the anointing. You cannot. You cannot usurp. You have to wait on God and fulfill your role. But I want to talk to you for just a moment something that's not talked about enough in the church today because of cultural pressure. And I'm telling you, it takes courage in me as the pastor to stand up here and speak these things. And the reason why I say that is because the culture seeks to teach you and to train your mind the entire week, and you give me 45 minutes a week to begin to offset some of the teaching that's piercing your mind. Let me tell you, the way the culture is shifting in America today is not from a biblical basis. Let me talk to you about something I want to talk about. The distinguishing of the sexes is necessary to create order. Let me go ahead and go into the Word of God for just a moment in this context. This distinguishing of the sexes has been consistent throughout Scripture. From the creation account to the commandments and the law, there were even distinction under the law in, the, in men and women's clothing. God instructed husbands and fathers to be directly responsible to know the law, keep the law, and teach the law. Teaching both sons and daughters the word of God, which is thy children, as the scripture says. Now, distinction of the sexes does not speak of value to God, only order and authority. The reality is God loves both men and women equally. And we validate that in Galatians chapter number 3. In Galatians 3, Paul says that you are all children of faith in God and you're justified by faith in God, male or female. And he said, so if you're in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, there's neither rich nor poor. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So when concerning merit and value, God values us equally all the same. Well, that's the weakest amen I've ever got for such an important point. Let me say that again. Whether you are the husband or the wife, whether you are the mother or the father, in God's esteem for you, God values you all the same. I have six children, three boys and three girls, three men and three women now. And I love them all equally, correct. 
and I value them all equally, right? But that does not mean that they do because of God creating them male and female that there are not distinctions in their roles inside their own families. And so listen, in our culture today, you know this, you and I know this, that the cultural shift has put pressure on husbands and wives. The cultural shifts for a continual push for supposed equality with no distinction in the sexes. Come on, it's every newscast. You could go right now, you can bring up CNN, Fox News. You scroll, it won't take you long, there'll be an article. They're about something about equality in that particular context and sometimes as it relates to both men and women. And here's what's happened. I believe in my heart that there is a, not necessarily, it used to be subtle, but now it's blatant. But it is a satanic scheme. That's what's at the root of it. It's a satanic scheme because it is attempting to eradicate clearly defined distinctions in the Word of God, clearly defined roles and responsibilities in the marriage relationship, and the church is nothing more than a family of believers. So thus, it's roles and responsibilities in the church, and thereby, here's what it's doing. It's weakening and it's limiting the anointing of God upon the home which thereby weeks, weakens the anointing of God in the church. That's what's happening. Are y'all with me today? And listen, we can just keep going with the flow of this if we want to, or we can take the courageous move to turn this kayak upstream. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah, anybody can float downstream with the wave of current like we've got going right now. But it's going to take some courageous men and women of God to say, I need to go back up there, and I'll have to have the help of God to be able to paddle this boat back upstream. But I'm going to trust that God's going to bring me that direction because I want to get right where he's at because I want the anointing of God on my household. Come on, somebody. So this cultural shift has put pressure. And so here's what my observation, I've been pastoring now for 23 years, and I observe couples and families, and I see oftentimes, I see contention and strife and neglect and usurping. I see a lack of true anointing and a lack of true blessing. I see a lack of power, favor, and grace that's hindered because oftentimes true roles are not identified, they're not accepted, they're not respected, and they're not fulfilled. As a result, the, the anointing of God is breached. It's breached. But you know what? We can correct that breach today. We could correct it if we'll go to the Word of God. So number three, a distinction in the sexes is necessary to create order. Is that right? Do y'all believe that? I believe it is. I read to you in two passages that the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul said that the head of the wife is the man and the head of the man is Christ. There's an order to the blessing of God in the home. And then number four, the flow and the anointing and blessing of God is breached when we fail to follow godly order. Let's talk to the men first. Ma'am, if beside you is your husband, or your soon-to-be husband, or somebody that you hope is your husband, he just don't know it as of yet. Now's the time for you to give him the nudge. If he's looking at Sports Center right now on his phone, and he's trying to make me think he's looking at Bible app, Now's the time for us to try to get his attention just a moment. Because I'm going to talk to the men. Because if you have ever around me very long, if you've ever been in a wedding that I perform, I speak more directly to the man than I do to the woman. And it's not because I'm trying to diminish the role of women. I see more faithfulness in women than I do in men. 
I found that if a, typically, typically, if a man in the church will be the man God's called him to be, there's a wife and mother who is waiting to walk in her ordained role before God. The only reason that sometimes she finds herself many times having to do something outside of her calling is because the husband has got his eyes glued to the television and a remote control in his hand. Do you hear what I'm saying today? So I'm going to talk to the men. And so men, you got to go with me. We're going to go quickly in this. And I'm going to drop these nuggets because you can see I've got 20 bullet points that I'm dropping down in the hearts of both men and women. It's on the page. And we're going to go quick, but you better get ready because you don't want to miss this because I'm going to speak to you as clearly as I can. Let me tell you about your wife, what she is. And I know that it's almost like she's an object in this one, but it's not. But here's what Proverbs said. Proverbs 18 and 22 says this right here. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So if you're married here today, let me tell you what you ought to think about your wife, that you've got a good thing going right there, brother, and you better be aware of it. The Bible says that he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtained what? Obtains the favor of God. So your wife, listen to me, men, your wife is a good thing. God chose to bring her into your life. God saw something incomplete inside you just like Adam when he slept and God chose to bring Eve to him. God brought your wife to you. And she's a good thing and you need to recognize that. Number two, quickly today, your wife is a gift from God. And there ain't no <laughs> returning that gift. Come on, somebody. <laughs> She's a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7 and 7 says every man has his proper gift of God. How would your wife feel if every day you made her feel with, and made her understand that in your perception you see her as a gift from God? What would that do to her self-esteem? What would that do to her merit and her value, both in your eyes and in the eyes of God, if you handled her that way? Number three, he said, some of these are very familiar. Some I'll be very brief, some will be a little bit longer. He said, men, we're to love our wives as Christ to love the church. What does that mean? That means that you recognize that she's a gift from God, that you show her what. What is that word love right there in that particular passage? Yes, it is the word that you don't want to recognize, agape. Not filio, friendship love, agape, the God kind of love. You're to love her as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed himself for her. Right? He saw her and he nurtured her and he vowed and he believed in her so much that he hung himself on a tree and gave us life's blood for her sake. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means it's a sacrificial love. You know what? So many men in the American culture, we don't have sacrificial love. We have self-centered love. We have that old country song, it's about me, it's about I. That's all we want to talk about, it's about us. And a lot of times our wives and our children are neglected while we're gratifying and satisfying our own fleshly appetite. And I want you to know today God, that God wants you to see your wife as an object of his divine love. His love should flow. Your wife should get the purest example of the love of Jesus in your touch and in your words every day of her life. She ought to feel the one. She ought to know that there is a security in y'all's relationship because of your love towards her. Love her as Christ loved the church. Paul went on. You see these are tied together. Nourish her and cherish your wife. Ephesians 5 and 29. The Bible says that nobody never yet takes care of his own body, but he feeds it and nourishes it. He said we need to nourish and take care of our wives. 
The word nourish there and to cherish, excuse me, to cherish means to warm with tender care, to speak kindly to her, to speak words that build her up, which I'll get to that in just a moment, and to know that she needs the warmth of your love and your affection. And all of your affection should not just be sexual. Man, all the ladies are wanting to say, Pastor Brown, I just want to scream amen, but I'm afraid to right now. I understand. That's okay. But I can, even though I've got my glasses on, I can see it. The glow is hitting you right there. He said, Pastor, I feel that. So it's because I, you need to feel the warmth of affection, of the touch of your husband, not just when the Old Spice is coming out. Come on, somebody. They need to feel the affirmation of the love and the touch and the warmth and the hug and the caress and the kiss of their husband even when it's not time to turn the, the lights down low. And I tell people this all the time because I'll get to the sexual side in a moment. I tell, tell my sons and I tell the guys that I counsel, I tell them romance starts in the kitchen. Y'all don't know what that means. I know. I'm a man with six children. I know. I won the Home Ec Award at two schools. Come on, somebody. I can run a trot line and skin a buck, but I can also go in there and load the dishwasher, too. And I can cook with the best of you. Man, that's good preaching right there. I felt that, Sister Karen. I did. And I'm especially, now, I, this isn't just for the young. This is for all. Listen, you're never too old to learn. You're never too old to change. You're never too old to get it right. If you've been broken all along, don't go into eternity broken. Get it right. There's, you're never too late to turn around and pass the baton off to somebody else. You may, maybe, it were, maybe you were 70 years old. Maybe you didn't learn this at 17. Maybe you didn't receive the baptism like I did and have your life changed when you were 17 and start living this kind of life. But that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. Listen to this one very carefully. Number six, provide for your wife and for your family. Mm. Now, that gets on a very touchy subject. So I have here in my notes, expound right there. 1 Timothy 5 and 8 says that if a man provide not for his own, he has denied the faith, and it's worse than an infidel. And we live in a culture, there's a lot of pressure to have dual incomes in the same home. And I understand that, and I'm not trying to get in the middle of a couple's uh, agreement on the role of the husband in working and the role of the wife in working. I'm not trying to do that. What I am going to say this and I'm going to speak, as Paul said, by permission and not by commandment. But I believe with my heart it's still the man's responsibility. This is me. You can say, Pastor Brown, you're old school, you're old. I don't care. I'm just going to tell you today, I believe that when I got married, it was my responsibility. And then when we started having children, if my wife wanted to stay at home, then we would make whatever sacrifice we had to make in order for her to have that opportunity to stay home and to nourish those children. I'm just telling you, I believe... That that was my responsibility to do that and to provide that. And that meant we had to adapt, and that meant we had to adjust, and that meant that we didn't always get to do this or go there, but we sacrificed. But we found the God who saw our sacrifice, and he saw the sincerity of our heart. And God would still, let me tell you, I raised, me and Sherry raised five and then six children on a pastor's salary, making $400 a week. That's the equivalent of $10 an hour in Shirley. But God would leave. God would leave blessing over here. And God would leave blessing over there. Because we had determined that this is how we wanted to govern our life and govern our family. So that we believed that that was the way that we could ensure the greatest blessing upon our house and our household. 
So I want you to know you may be a young couple here today and say, let me, oh, Pastor, I don't think I can make it. Let me tell you, if you set your heart and husbands and wives come into agreement on it, I'm telling you, you can make it. I'd rather live with less and have more in another area than to have two new cars. That's just me. I'll talk to you about that privately in our own counseling time if you want to. Number seven, this is going to get real. Ooh, Jesus. Number seven, satisfy. I can't believe I wrote these things. I can't believe I'm going to preach these things. Satisfy your sexual desires only in your wife. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? Well, the book of Proverbs says that we are to drink water from our own cistern. This is what Paul said, or excuse me, the Solomon said. And he said this right here. He said, be satisfied with the breasts of the wife of thy youth. Be satisfied. Satisfied. What do you mean, Pastor Brown, to the husband satisfied? Because we live in a culture in which there are so many temptations to satisfy the sexual appetite that God gave to all of us. God gave to men, and there's a lot of ways that you can satisfy it or attempt to satisfy it that's not sanctioned by God. And I believe in the spirituality of our sexuality. And I'm going to touch on that when I get to the women in just a moment of time. And so I just wanted to toss that nugget out there, men. You got to keep yourself pure. You got to guard your eye. Come on, you got to guard the thoughts that are in your mind. In today's culture, you got to guard what's coming on here. You got to guard what's coming into your computer. You got to guard what's coming into the television. Come on, I, I told Sherry long years ago when we were first dating this, we called this our song. I don't know if that sounds kind of mushy now, but I'll just say we call it our song. It's called For Your Eyes Only. And that's a principle that we chose to live by. That it would be for our eyes only. Our sexual appetite should be uh, satisfied only in our spouses. Number eight, guys, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, is what First Peter said. What does that mean? Never stop growing. Did you hear that? Grow in your knowledge of God. Grow in your no the knowledge of the Word. Grow in your responsibility to your wife and to your children. The Bible says to honor your wife. Recognize that she could be the weaker vessel. I say could be because I've seen some pretty stout ladies she could be the weaker physically, but oftentimes she's weaker emotionally. And if you don't recognize this, then you're going to breach your prayers. And Peter said, you're going to hinder your prayer life. But if you recognize this and you're working together cohesively, then the Bible says that your prayers will be answered. And it won't be negligence. It won't be your negligence leading to your prayers being hindered. So dwell with her according to knowledge. And listen to this. There's only two more for the men. Be forgiving, kind, and tenderhearted. First... Ephesians 4 and 32 is not written to, to husbands. It's just written to Christians in general. But did you know what I've observed? This is me. I've seen people in the church be kind to others in the church. Be nice, be forgiving, be loving, be affirming, and then go home and be ugly to their spouses. That's a shame before God. You need to be kind and tenderhearted. You need to be forgiving and being asking forgiveness in your life. And number 10, lastly, men, let me tell you whose responsibility it is. The, the wives will join you alongside in doing this, but you bless your wife in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? That means you've got a prophetic word in your heart, and you've got a prophetic word on your lips, and you speak it over your wife. I can't tell you the thousands of times that I've said, Father Sherry is a fruitful vine by the side of my house. And my children are as olive plants round about my table. Bless, listen, bless your house with your words. Speak life over them, glory to God. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And God has anointed you to bless your spouse. Now we'll shift to the women. 
I need two bodyguards. Strong men, gifted, one on either side. Keep an opening to the door right there. Let me say this, number one, wife, you are a gift to your husband, and I want you to understand that today, and I want you to be able to perceive that about yourself, for that alone creates additional merit and value to your defined role in the Word of God. You are a gift to your husband. There are things in his life that he could not do if it were not for you. There are a lot of things, if you're a mother, there are definitely things There are blessings in his life he could have not obtained without you. You are a gift to his life. I know somebody's phone just told me it's noon, but that doesn't mean I'm finished. Number two, this may be the most important one today. They're equally as important because the culture has fought this tooth and nail. You must search out submission. Why did I choose those words, search it out? You've got to search out what Paul said. What did he mean? You've got to learn that for yourself. It can't just be a sermon that I give you. Submission to the husband in the role of marriage is a necessary requirement for the flow of the anointing. Our culture has fought it tooth and nail to the degree that if a pastor even mentions it, he feels at risk. I'm being truthful in here today. I'm telling you, you cannot read the Word of God without seeing that God speaks to the role of a wife in the covenant of marriage to submit to a husband. Now, what does that mean? You have to search that out for yourself. You want to know more from my perspective, I can teach you, but you've got to grow in this. You've got to flesh that out and work it out and say, God, teach me. What that means in my life. Number three, it says reverence or respect your husband. Did you know Paul summarized in Ephesians 5 and 33, men love your wives and wives see that you reverence or respect your husband? Did you know there's something in the heart of a husband that wants to have, to a certain degree, esteem or be respected by his wife? Did you know that? I'm just telling you today. There's something in his heart. Maybe he doesn't need the affirmation of affection that sometimes ladies do, but I'll tell you what, he does need to have some reverence or respect. And you say, I know some of you are saying, well, if my husband only does, sometimes it's by faith. Sometimes you have to offer that respect by faith. Come on now. But I'm telling you, God will honor you for what you offer by faith. Number four, clothe yourself in humility and grace. The scripture there in 1 Timothy 2 is also, uh, I could have put 1 Peter 3, but it's talking about inward beauty rather than outward beauty. We live in a culture today that one of the largest uh, businesses uh, in, in America today is cosmetics. A woman's attire and how she looks all up here. And that's all good. I'm not against any of it. Well, maybe not to a certain degree. But let me just go ahead and rephrase that. There can be an over-excess of everything. Okay, so, so maybe I am against a little bit of it. But I think you look very nice. So keep up the good work. This was not point number 11 for the men. I didn't ever tell you. My wife always looks good. And that dress always makes her look slim. Always by faith in Jesus' name. <laughs> Clothe yourself inwardly in humility and grace. Let it be. So why am I why I'm putting that there? There's so much pressure on you to look a certain way on the outside, and we neglect the way we look on the inside. God's concerned about how you look on the inside. 
Number five, your holy life will speak louder than words. What does that mean? In 1 Peter 3, the apostle Peter said, Wife, if your husband is not doing the things that you know he ought to do before God, there's one role that you cannot take in his life. You can't be his preacher. You can't be his preacher, his pastor, his teacher, or his corrector. Because you're, all you're going to do is alienate him. But the thing that you can do is you can live a quiet and a holy life in front of him every day. And that will speak louder than any word. He can turn my sermon off. He, don't, he can leave out of here. He can stop listening on the podcast. But he can't turn off the sound of your sanctified holy life that's lived in front of him every day. It's conviction to his heart. And God will speak to him through your holy life. Number six, do not publicly ridicule your husband. Because there's something in his heart that wants to be respected. And why am I saying that? Because I see it. I wouldn't say it. I'm trying to be courageous enough to tell you that I've seen it many times in the church where a wife will publicly ridicule. Let me tell you what happened with David's wife, Michael, when they got the ark back to Jerusalem. And David's been dancing and rejoicing, and he's passed the blessing of God out upon the people of God, and he's getting ready to go back to his house, and he's going to speak the prophetic blessing over his family, over his wife, over his children, and his wife comes out, and she openly ridicules him. And when she did, the Bible says she had no child to the day of her death. Listen, church family, I'm challenging you today. I love I'm putting myself at risk to share these things today. But I'm telling you, these are principles that will mean a lot to your husband. They will. Number seven, don't usurp your husband's authority in the home. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. Come on. Right? That doesn't mean that you're not involved in decision making. That doesn't mean. But that simply means that when your husband is attempting to do his part, then let him do his part. If he's attempting to do his role, then you let him do his role to the glory of God. Because when you don't, you're asking God to bless the body but not the head. And that's not how it works. Number eight, don't use sex to manipulate or control your husband. And not every pastor's got the courage to say these things, but I do. And I'm going to tell you that today because I've observed it. I've counseled around it. I've talked to people. I've been doing this for 30 years, 23 of pastoring, and I've observed it. But when you see in the Word of God the spirituality of your sexuality, 1 Corinthians 7 and 3 says as husbands and wives that we're to give each other due benevolence in the sexual union. Now, certainly that doesn't imply abusive sexual advances, nor unhealthy or unrealistic sexual expectations. Correct? But in a healthy marriage, you recognize the spirituality of your sexuality. That God designed the sexual union to bring our hearts together, not just our bodies. Did y'all hear that, church family, today? And so I want you to know, it is something, I've heard it, I've observed it in the lives of people in the church where sex becomes something that's used to coerce or manipulate the marriage covenant. And that's not the will of God. That's not how it works. Number nine, as I'm preparing to close, guide the house. What does that mean? First Timothy 5 and 14 says, I will that the younger women marry, bear children.
All right, church family, let me finish real quickly. I know that's a little bit of disruption. That's all right. Listen to this. I'm going to say this in closing. God the house. That's what God specifically spoke that to a lady, to the wives. God the house. God the household. Take care of things. I'm not saying that it is the role of the wife to be the homemaker or the housekeeper. And all the ladies say amen. But rather that she should feel the obligation and the responsibility to make sure things are structured, safe, clean, and working together. Because God's put a gift in your life in that area. Does that make sense? And, and I want to say this today to the young ladies. Please listen to me real quickly. Please listen to me because we don't have to tell the older ladies that much about this because they were brought up in a different era. You want to see the blessing of God flow in your house and your household? Let me tell you right here. Put this thing away during the day. Put this thing away. Be productive with your life. If you're a homemaker, then be a homemaker. Pray the blessing of God upon your children. Structure your house. Structure your household. Take that role and that responsibility upon you. Have the spirit of hospitality in you. Be a giver. Let God gift your hands. Let your home be a sanctuary, a safe place for your children to come home to, to your spouse to come home to. If you're both working, then y'all work that out together, what that should look like. Right? It definitely doesn't need to be the wife and there slaving away while the man's sitting in the recliner with his hand on the television. Come on, somebody. Come on, everybody's got to do their part. But the Bible plainly says, specifically, a wife should feel empowered in that moment. Should she not? Empowered because it can hinder. The lack of it can hinder the anointing and the blessing of God. Lastly today, lastly today, number 10 for the wives. As I prepare to close, teach the other women. Why am I having to do it? Why am I having to stand up here on the stage? Because many times the older women are not teaching the younger women the way we're supposed to. The Bible plainly says that the older women who get established in the faith are to teach the younger women how to be a wife. How to be a mother. How to function in the life stream of the church. Ma'am, that's your responsibility. Rise up and be the person God's called you to be. And as I close today, let me go back. And, and, and I know I've, I had to take a long time because next Sunday is the Sunday right before Christmas. People are going to come out here expecting me to preach a Christmas message and I'm preaching about husbands and wives and roles in the families. But that's okay because that will produce a lot more sanctified and blessing on the household during Christmas. If we both do our part. Let me go back to this real quickly. Let me go back to I believe with all my heart that there's a prophetic blessing that God has for every household. Do you believe that? I believe it. I've seen it in the word of God and I've seen it in my own family. Last week I went out on the limb to use myself as an example to my children. And also to live myself as an example. You say, Pastor, should you do that? Well, Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers. And I believe, Kim, I believe there are two reasons why that God has specifically blessed mine and Sherry's household and my children. And God has blessed us. I'm not saying we're blessed beyond anybody else. And I'm not saying that our children are perfect because absolutely they're not. And, and, and we've had mistakes and failures just like everybody else. And we've had Satan try to come in and we had to chase him out. Come on, somebody. But at the end of the day, the blessing of God has fallen from us upon our children. It has. It's observable. I can see it. I can see their growth and their maturation. And I believe it happened twofold. There's the reason. I believe, number one, it happened because I chose to lead. And number two, Sherry willfully submitted. I do believe that. 
I believe that she saw it and recognized it, and we, co- we worked that out together. We formed a partnership. We found our defined role, and we began to function in it. And the blessing, come on, somebody, the blessing could flow. Psalm 133 said that anointing will flow on your head, and then it'll flow on your shoulders. Come on, and that means if my spouse is right here where she's supposed to be, come on, right under my arm, not walking right behind me, but right there knit together at my heart. That means whatever anointing that God puts on my heart and my life is going to flow right on her. And then when it flows right off of us, those little children that were running around us all those years, that very same anointing is flowing off of our lives and flowing onto them because that's God's expected order. You do it, he'll bless your home. You don't do it, you can search for it all day and you won't have it because God's not going to breach. Come on. He's not going to bless your mess. He's going to bless your order and he's going to allow the blessing of God to flow upon your home. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me as Aaron joins me on the platform. And I'm just a few minutes after 12 today. And I want to ask you to do something with me here in this house today. And I know we have a lot.